0: It is Sportsnet Today. I'm Josh Elliott-Wolf riding solo today on Sportsnet Today on Sportsnet 650. I do have producer Eddie Gregory with me, though, so he will chime in every now and then. Eddie, how's it going? I'm very
1: good, thanks. How are you? I am good. How was your weekend? It was fine, thank you. Good. Trying to enjoy the last little bit of summer. Until it's over. Yeah. I had the realization last night, I was at home about 9.30, I looked out the window, it's pretty much fully dark and I got a little sad.
0: (laughs) I did the exact same thing. It was like eight thirty. I looked out. I was like, man, weird, and, yeah. and we're not even in daylight savings time, no, or whatever the opposite of it is. Yeah, no, daylight savings, yeah, it's weird. It's weird, but you know what? that's how it goes. I kind of like the fall. I'm not a big summer guy. I enjoy it for a bit, and then I'm just I'm too hot. You get
1: tired of it? yeah, i get I get a little tired. I'm the opposite. There doesn't seem to be enough summer, enough good weather. Fair enough. Like, I get, I enjoy the sports and everything that comes in the fall and starting in September, but mm-hmm. I love the I love this weather this time of year.
0: Yeah, fall to me is uh, the sign of football, hockey, everything fun. But I understand the people that love summer and don't want it to go away. I completely get it. Uh, on the show today, so it is Sportsnet today, I'm Josh Elliott Wolf. You're listening to Sportsnet 650. You can always text in the 650 650 Dunbar Lumber text line, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver or online at DunbarLumber.com. You can text in on the show today. Uh, One thing we wanted to do was project the Pacific Division for two, three seasons from now. So I'm picking specifically 2024-2025 as a season to predict what the standings might be in that year and where the canucks fall in that so if you have any takes on that text in six fifty-six fifty 650, 650 dunbar lumber text line uh we will read them send in your submissions on where you think the canucks would be who you think might be at the top if you don't think the canucks would be there i'm going to go through my rankings at one and we'll see kind of how it aligns with the dunbar lumber text line maybe Maybe it lines up perfectly. Maybe it does not. We're getting texts about daylight savings time. I will say, I got it right the first time, not the opposite. That's just standard time.
1: You've already struck a nerve.
0: Yeah. No, people are getting on me about daylight savings time. Sorry about that. I'll be better next time.
1: You're a dash one early on (laughs) in the show. First thought of the game. I'll make up for
0: it. Yeah. As soon as I said the opposite too, I was like, man, you know what? It's not the opposite. Whatever. We move on. Anyway. Uh, So that's at one. I'll go through my rankings. At 12.30, we're going to have an interview with Andrew Gross of uh, Newsday. He covers the Islanders in New York. They made a few signings today. That's kind of the big news. I I don't want to say big news because it's not really big news, but it's news. Uh, And we'll pass it on because it does have some implications on what the Canucks might do the rest of the offseason, including... I've, I think I made it three or four minutes into the show before mentioning. You're going to do it. I'm going to say it. JT Miller. There it is. Woo. Uh, what they might do, if they can still make a move for him or someone like him just along the lines. Obviously, it's not going to be Nazem Kadri. That's for sure. He's in Calgary now. Um, Let's start there, though. So the Islanders make three signings. The biggest one, Noah Dobson, three years, $4 million per season. Um, to me, right off the bat, my first impression of this is that's a really good deal, but it's not as long as I would have wanted. And I think it's probably not as long as the Islanders would have wanted, but they don't have enough cap space to make a longer-term deal make sense. He is still going to be an RFA when it expires, so that kind of plays into uh, the Islanders' hands a little bit. But I think if you were Lou Lamorello, ideally, if you had more cap, you would have signed him long-term. But alas, he did say in his media availability today that he wants to see more from Dobson, which I guess I kind of understand, but also he's a right-handed young defenseman that might be one of the pillars of your franchise moving forward. It's hard to sign guys like that long-term. If you have the opportunity, you probably should. The other two they signed, Alex Romanov, who... They traded for at the draft. Remember when everybody thought the Canucks were going to get that pick? They didn't. It went to Montreal, uh, and then it went to Chicago. But uh, they signed Alex Romanov, three years, 2.5 million AAV for him. Uh, Probably going to play with Dobson, I would assume, or at least in their top four. And then the other one, not really important, Kiefer Bellows, one year, 1.2. So both of those are kind of whatever. I don't think any of the deals are necessarily home runs aside from the Dobson A V. Getting him locked in at $4 million for three seasons, even though it is only three seasons, it's really good to me. Uh, Eddie, what do you think about that?
1: I think the Dobson deal has the potential to be one of the best bargains in the National Hockey League over the course of each season of the contract for those three years. I mean, I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg in terms of how good Dobson can be. I mean, he's not going to be in that Quinn Hughes, Caleb McCarr type mold in terms of like the premier young defenseman, but just maybe a shade underneath that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if he does play to his potential, it just means that that next contract, I guess the third one, is going to be the one that's going to be the big payday and the real difficult contract to negotiate. But the thing is, who's going to negotiate that contract with all due respect to Lou,
0: Yeah, is he going to be 82 at that time, still trying to, sign guys like man that's uh that's a tough look but i will say from dobson's point of view this is probably a pretty good contract you get a bridge you get paid a little bit but you say hey i'm gonna be really good in those three years i would like to make a lot of money when this expires and maybe the islanders they do have a lot of cap committed three years from now so we'll see how much space they can make um but i do wonder what that next contract is going to look like so this whole situation that the Islanders, all these three deals, it leaves them with $3.4 million in cap space left. And I know a lot of people were thinking about JT Miller. A lot of people were hoping, and I don't think, I I don't know if they were fully committed to this idea or were just had a dream that it might be Miller for Dobson for whatever reason. Obviously, that's not going to happen now. It was already kind of far-fetched to begin with. It would have been great, though. but. My question is, does this take the Islanders out of the JT Miller sweepstakes? And my answer would be no, because they were already in it before. They knew they had to resign Dobson, Romanov, and Bellows. But, and now we know how much cap they have left to play with, assuming they aren't able to trade someone else that has a bit of a bigger cap hit, maybe is a little past their prime, which is about half of the Islanders roster right now. Uh, but anyway, the Canucks... To make this work, they can retain half his salary or take one of those guys back that I was mentioning. Maybe it's an Anthony Beauvillier. Maybe it's someone else. If they did want to make the cap work and Lou Lamarello did want to add to the forward group. But in doing that, that is only going to drive the price up if the Canucks retain half of his salary or if the Canucks take a contract back, especially because the Canucks don't really have the room to take a contract back unless it's someone that gets paid around 5 million, maybe a little bit more to kind of match up with Miller's salary, but then it kind of puts you in a weird position because how, how is, how are the Islanders compensating you for that player that they're sending back? So I think if the deal was to be struck between the two teams, it would have to include someone like Atu Ratu, the guy that just had a decent World Juniors for Finland, won a silver medal. He's kind of their main prospect. They don't have a lot of prospects. You would think a team that is old, kind of on its way out, has a lot of prospects. They don't. They have Ratu, though, and he's good. Um, so that's where I think it would start if you're, if you're the Canucks. I think the other ask, especially if you're taking a contract back, would be an unprotected first round pick. I just don't think the Islanders would be willing to do that. But I think that's where you start if you're the Canucks and maybe you're able to put a condition on it where, hey, if it's a lottery pick, it moves to the following season. If not, they get the pick. Uh, That's kind of what I would do. And then a second, maybe another B prospect, is kind of what I assume the package would be. But again, that's contingent on Miller having half his salary retained by the Canucks or the Canucks taking someone else back from the Islanders uh we do get a couple texts on this please ask why what dirt Lou Lamorello has on Dobson to get that steal that's from Dan in Fort St. John I agree I do think that's a
1: like I think that's just the intimidation factor of Lou Lamorello as a GM (laughs) when you're an RFA you have no leverage
0: yeah you have no leverage and the guy that's 80 years old is like hey I'm gonna I'm going to offer you a contract, and you're going to say yes.
1: I do this my way. I've done
0: it for 30 <laughs> years this way, and I ain't changing now. <laughs> yeah. And, like, also, you're not going to tell anybody. Because if you tell someone, I will find you. You'll be sent off to Lamorello Island. <laughs> yes. Um. So that's kind of the Islanders-Canucks angle. We are going to get into it more next segment when Andrew Gross joins. Again, from Newsday, he covers the Islanders. We'll get into that a little bit more. I also want to ask about Barzell because Lou Lamorello mentioned Matt Barzell at his availability today. Said he, Well, he mentioned it in a very Lou Lamorello way. He said, I don't want to comment on contract negotiations, which is very fun. He's such a fun guy. Really well, he
1: signed for another year, so why talk about it today?
0: <laughs> exactly. Uh, but he is an RFA at the end of the season. I wonder what his thoughts on all of this are. Not these three signings, but the way the team is kind of constructed, and if he sees himself as a fit long-term. So that's what we're going to get into next segment. I do want to move on to the World Juniors. They happened, question
1: mark? They did happen. They did play the games. They did play the games. How many people were paying attention, though? Uh, 20% of what would normally tune in in the Christmas time? Probably. It was, uh, (laughs) honestly, I will say, the gold
0: medal game was happening and I was like, oh, it's happening. What what like I had no idea that it was today.
1: I was regularly checking my apps just to see when games were being played because I wasn't sure.
0: Yeah, it was uh it was kind of a mess, but it happened, it's done. Now we can move on. I will say in that gold medal game, the overtime save by Mason McTavish. That was a really good play. That was incredible. That was a really good play. <laughs> and if I- If that had happened in, like, December, I think people would still be talking about it right now.
1: I was in the building here when that happened watching the overtime. I was a little bit worried that somebody in one of the other neighboring stations might have heard me yelling a little bit (laughs) because it was a truly incredible play.
0: Yeah. Overtime, you put all the stakes onto that. It's one of the most clutch plays you may have ever seen, especially in a World Juniors. Like, probably Jordan Everly's goal is kind of the main main competition. Uh, It would... The only thing that would have made it better is if Mason McTavish then scored the overtime winner.
1: I mean, that would have been the icing on the cake. I was more worried about because it was bouncing so much, you could have easily knocked that puck into the net, and it would have been game over. It was so easy for that to happen. But just to stay with that puck and find a way to bat it the way that he did was truly incredible. And whether it's hockey in August or the World Juniors at the normal time, Christmas time or early January, that was incredible hockey to watch no matter what, and you had to enjoy it. Definitely.
0: Anytime there's a gold medal game or do or die anything and there's overtime, it's amazing, regardless of sport. It is must watch.
1: And I was watching to see if Latvia could pull off the upset against Sweden the other day. (laughs) That had me compelled. They did not.
0: They did their best. They did their their best. best. They scared them. Yeah, yeah. Latvia is a scary team. Uh, But I will say, so Mason McTavish, he had a great tournament. Yes. But does it really matter? Not really. Because he's a 19-year-old who was picked third overall, and he played for the best team in the tournament. He played with who's supposed to be a generational talent, Connor Bedard, who, well, look, I'm not going to say had a huge, like I still think Mason McTavish would have put up a lot of points, but I just, whenever people are like, oh, man, this guy had a great world Juniors. So can't wait to see him in the NHL, I agree with that when they're like, hey, But when they say, hey, this guy had a great world junior, so he's going to translate that into the NHL, that I don't necessarily agree with.
1: He can translate that to a very good NHL career. Yeah, And I think that's a reasonable expectation for Mason McTavish. Is anyone expecting him to go be a superstar in the NHL? Probably not. He might win a Calder this year. He might be a good candidate. Is he going to be a 40-goal, 90-point guy over the course of the next 10 to 12 years? We'll see.
0: Yeah. It's, it, playing with Zegras is probably going to help in Anaheim, but I will say...
1: Don't forget Troy Terry.
0: Troy Terry, yes. Troy Terry's good too. That'll, that'll be a good line, but I will say I don't know if... Like, I, I wouldn't say that he's going to be a 40-goal, 90-point guy based on his World Junior Tournament as much as he was picked third overall. He had a really good junior career. He looks like a really good prospect. Um, the other prospect that a lot of Canucks fans were keeping an eye on Jonathan Lekaramaki. Well done. Thank you. He had three assists in seven games, did not play too much in the bronze medal game. Sweden still won, but regardless, this goes back to my last point. He had three assists in seven games. I don't think it matters.
1: No, we won't be remembering that. And Rick Dollywell reported he was battling illness throughout the course of the tournament, so mm-hmm. that didn't help matters either.
0: Yeah, and again, it's just it's really hard to put too much stock into what someone does in a single tournament. We'll have to see what he does when he goes back to Sweden and plays the full season. But I I still have a lot of hope for him. And I know last week on the People Show we were talking about some players that some former Canucks players that played in the World Juniors, namely Brock Besser, Elias Patterson. So Elias Patterson in his draft year at the world juniors put up one point. Yes. And Besser, I believe, was three or four. Yes. And so again, it's it's those players worked out. You don't really have to worry too much about what happened at the World Juniors.
1: And they always say the World Juniors is a nineteen year old tournament. You know, it's easy to rack up the points against, you know, the lesser teams, the Latvias, the Austrias, etc. But the longer the tournament goes, the harder it gets. And like you said, you know, you expected Ken Johnson to deliver when he did in overtime because he's a 19-year-old, and that's where that phrase means. Mm-hmm. You know, that's when those guys deliver when the tournament does start to get a little bit harder. Look at Conor Berdard. You know, he lit it up early in the tournament, but he struggled a little bit at the end just because of his age. I expect Ramaki to be better at the next tournament come Christmas time in the Maritimes. That's a really good time to judge him to see where he's at Mm -hmm. after his time in Sweden this year.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to say is, hey, maybe he puts up more points in December. But that being said, even if he doesn't, whatever. We'll have to wait and see what he does in the Canucks organization whenever he does come over from Sweden. But that being said, I'm still high on him for the time being. Uh, I did want to move on just before we get to break. The other thing that happened over the weekend, one of the bigger headlines, locally, the BC Lions, they played against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in Saskatchewan, and they won. BC Lions are now 8-1 and on the season. 28-10 was the final score. A big win for the Lions, but also a big loss. Nathan Rourke was injured in the fourth quarter. Probably the the standout for most outstanding player in the CFL. It's hard to think of anyone else that would be in competition for that, uh, especially with how much he came onto the scene. This does hurt the Lions, obviously, a lot because they're losing their main quarterback. But also, I wonder how much it impacts their draw to Lions games because they are playing against the Rough Riders this Friday but at BC Place. And I know a lot of people were high on them. A lot of people were watching the game on Friday. Maybe were considering buying tickets going to the game this Friday at PC Place, I wonder how that impacts it. Or if they say, hey, Lions still won twenty eight ten. I know Rourke's not going to be there, but this is a really good team. I still want to go support them. That'll be kind of my, I want to see how that works out moving forward. Not just this week, but if the Lions keep winning, what kind of comes from that?
1: And that's what you hope people respond to. They've built up this equity, trying to re-engage the fan base, and obviously the concert at the start of the season was the first real you know effort to really try and re engage the fan base and then the team on the field, you know, paid the fans back with the eight and one start, obviously highlighted by Nathan Rorick's play, mm-hmm. and deservedly so, because I've now been watching more games this year and finding time, even when they're not playing live, when the game's played on replay, to at least watch Nathan Rorick play. How does he sling balls into double coverage? Or just how does he place it into tight areas? It's been outstanding to watch. But at the end of the day, too, their defense can be very electrifying, and they can still find a way to be a very competitive team. And now it's on the fan base to reward this team by coming out not just because of Nathan Work, but like you said, they have an eight and one record. Mm-hmm. You know, reward that, support the team that way because they're eight and one, not just because their marquee quarterback, not just in BC but in the entire CFL, is down for the year. Go reward this team by supporting them at BC Place now that the weather's starting to cool a little bit.
0: Definitely, yeah. And look, this is still a really good team that I, I wouldn't say was all on the quarterback. A lot of it was because most successful teams in football need a really good quarterback. But we'll have to see what happens this Friday. I do think they've at least earned a few weeks of consistent support. And especially because I, I do want to read the press release so... Uh, The line saying, after extensive consultation with team doctors and foot specialists, Nathan was diagnosed with a Lisfranc sprain. I don't know how to say that word. Lisfranc? Lisfranc? I think you're close enough. We're going to roll with it. He has a sprain in his right foot. Simple enough. It has been determined that the best course of action is for Nathan to undergo surgery, which will happen very soon. The club remains hopeful that the surgery and subsequent rehab will open the door for a return late in the season. So that's kind of the main point is... He should be coming back late in the season, if not in time for the playoffs, which is kind of the key. So support the team while you can. I will say I was someone that going into every CFL season, I'm like, oh, the, the Lions are playing. I might watch a game this year. Rourke had made it was must watch for me. Friday, I, I was talking to my girlfriend. I was like, hey, we have to watch the BC Lions game tonight. She was like, why? I was like, because... They're important now and now I have to now I have to actually care about what they're doing and that's, I know it sounds kind of petty but that's a big step for me from a, someone that's probably just a fan to all of a sudden be watching games week in and week out which is not something I would have done if Rourke hadn't been on the team and it's something I'm going to continue doing moving forward because they're a really good team and it's more entertaining to watch than you might think. Absolutely
1: it is and I've begun watching Lions games more often this year, just mainly because of how, like I said, how good of a passer the football he is. I love watching him throw it into tight windows. I love watching him think and process, even get out of, you know, blitzes and, you know, breakdowns in the pocket. Just watching him being a very, very smart football player and just trying to analyze it that way. And that makes it fun. And I think that's a good way. I mean, he's hurt now, so that doesn't help. But if you try to watch Nathan Rourke from that perspective and try and re-engage The BC Lions that way. I think it was a fun way to reconnect with that football team. Definitely.
0: And it's going to be something we'll keep an eye on moving forward. How much interest is still in the team. Just overall, how the team is doing without Rourke for whatever amount of time he's out. At least a few weeks. We'll have to see how that goes. Uh, Again, the Lions do play the Rough Riders on Friday here at BC Place. Um, there's a couple other things we want to get to. We'll have to wait until later. The Jays taking three or four from the Yankees in the Bronx, a really big series for them. And, uh, they'll be back in action tomorrow. Also, someone talking about Vasily Podkolzin maybe being better than Brock Besser, which, okay, whatever, maybe being better than Elias Patterson. What? We'll talk about that and more coming up. Up next, Andrew Gross from Newsday. He covers the Islanders is going to join us. That's next on Sportsnet Today with Josh Elliott-Wolf on Sportsnet 650. It is Sportsnet Today. I'm Josh Elliott-Wolf, along with producer Eddie Gregory. I feel like I came in with a lot of low tempo. He really set the music up to be a little little smooth, though. I appreciate it.
1: I'm just trying to keep you on your toes. Yeah,
0: it's a, it's a Monday. You never know what could happen on a Monday. Absolutely. Um, Andrew Gross is going to join us in a few moments. We're going to talk about... The Islanders, who got a few signings done today, um, really interesting to see what they do moving forward because this is a team that didn't really do much aside from re-signing guys this offseason. We thought they were going to sign Nazim Kadri. That didn't happen. We thought they might make a trade at the draft for JT Miller. They did make a trade. It wasn't for JT Miller. It was for Alex Romanov, who they re-signed earlier today as one of the three, Noah Dobson also getting re-signed, and Kiefer Bellows also getting re-signed. So a lot of interesting things happening around them. You wonder how much Lou Lamorello is going to want to go for it in his old age. Like At a certain point, you just kind of have to start putting the chips in every single year, but also how much is he worried about the future, if at all, And does he want to sacrifice that for maybe someone like JT Miller who could theoretically go to New York if the salaries match and maybe the Canucks retain? A lot would have to go into the deal, and so I don't think it would be a cheap package coming back to Vancouver, but we would have to see how that unfolds. Andrew Gross from Newsday.com joins us now. He covers the Islanders, who did make a few signings today. Andrew, how are you?
2: Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me on. I hope your summer's going well. Doing
0: well, yeah. Appreciate it. Hope everything's good out there as well. Uh, I wanted to get right into it. The Islanders making a few signings today. The only one that kind of surprised me was not giving Noah Dobson more term, but obviously there's a lot of other things going into it. But the annual salary really seems like a home run to me. What did you think about that?
2: Yeah, and I and I, I had the same thought of you as you did, and I asked Lou Lamarillo about that, whether you know he had tried to make a longer term deal with Noah, because it, it would seem like this is the type of guy that if you can lock up long term, you do, and and Lou acknowledged that yes, you know he, he would like to have. Noah around for a long time, but he still, he he said that he was comfortable with the three years because he still would like to see more from Noah's development really uh, before committing to a, you know, a seven year deal or whatever it would have to be. So uh, yeah, you know, uh, Noah had a breakout season last season, but Lou is comfortable working on a three year deal and uh, you know, and he'll he'll still have Noah before he gets to unrestricted free agency. So there 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 is another chance in three years to work out, uh, you know that that home run long term deal with Noah. Although it will be much more pricey than the four million AAV that Noah wound up signing for.
0: Yeah, and we're kind of seeing that here in Vancouver with uh, the Canucks were. Because of cap situation, they were only able to re-sign Elise Patterson for three years and now they're going to have to pay quite a bit more if he breaks out the way they hope he does in the next three seasons. But with Dobson, I'm kind of wondering what they want him to improve on in that time. Is it the defensive game? Because as you mentioned, he kind of had a breakout year. Or are they just kind of hoping that he shows a little bit more over that three seasons?
2: Um, I, I think it's just the consistency. You know, he's 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 been brought along slowly his first two NHL seasons. And then last year, really, you know, the reins were taken off of him. And, and he was, a, you know, he was a day in, day out uh, defenseman. He was on the uh, top power play unit. He actually led the team in power play points. And I, I think before committing whatever it would have to be over a seven year deal to Nolan, you're, you're probably, you know, baseline you're starting at six six and a half million per season to get them to commit to that i think lou just wants to see more of the same for another year or two you know and and i think i don't think anyone doubts that that's where this is trending that no adopts in the 22 going on at 23 is this is just the start for him he, he's going to build from here
0: the other defensive signing today in the draft day trade was Alex Romanov for three years at 2.5. What kind of impact do you think he'll have with the Islanders on that defense?
2: Well, certainly physically. And uh, he's also a good skater, and he can move the puck up the ice. And that's that's an area where the Islanders really struggled last, last season was uh, breaking it out of their own end. And, uh, you know, it's kind of natural after... Uh, trading Devontae to the Avalanche and trading Nick Letty to the uh, Red Wings. I know he's with the Blues now, but you lose two really slick skating puck-moving defensemen, and that was a real hole in the Islanders' game last season. I think Romanov helps a little bit there. You know, I I think people on the Island are excited because they've they've seen some of the comparisons to the uh, Darius-Casparitis type of game. That Romanov can play, and uh, you know the Islanders, you know Islander fans will love that. And uh, talking to Alex today, he, he believes he can bring more offense than what he's shown in his first two NHL seasons with the Canadians, and that would be a real big help to the Islanders if he, if he chips in more offensively.
0: You're listening to Sportsnet today with Josh Elliott Wolf on Sportsnet six six fifty. We're joined by Andrew Gross. Covers the Islanders for newsday.com. So one of the things that came out of Lou Lamarello's media today was that he said he wasn't disappointed in the offseason despite not really adding to the team. Could you see them this team as is performing better this season, even if they don't add anyone before the season starts?
2: Yeah, no, I, I can I, I I get where Lou's coming from. Um it's because, you know, it's you know, it should be a more normal season this season, and I think they 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 do have this tremendous faith in that core group. They they have two goalies they believe in. They've got five quality NHL defensemen, and they've you know they're solid up the middle with four pretty really good centers. So uh, there there's a reason to believe here. I, I still think they needed. You know, I know they were in on Goudreau, and they were in on Nazem Kadri, and and I understand why they were, because they need to bolster their top six forwards, and they need to bolster their power play. And uh, But, I, I, you know, the, the fact that they're not going to have as messed up a schedule, and they're not going to play, you know, the, the February on last season, they were literally playing every other day, and a, a lot of four and sixes, And they just ran out of gas, you know, as they tried to make a playoff run. And they're not going to have to go through that this season. So I think just on that alone, they do improve. You mentioned Nazem
0: Kadri, and I wanted to touch on him a little bit. It seemed like he had signed in New York, and we were just kind of waiting for an announcement. And then (laughs) obviously it didn't work out, and he landed in Calgary. Is that a miss for the Islanders with that contract, or do you think they... They did good
2: avoiding that seven by seven. I, I could really argue both ways because in the short term, Nazem Tadri would have helped this team. Even though you know they have four really good centers, um, and, and you're looking at an abundance down the middle, I, I think he, he certainly would have helped the power play uh, for for the Islanders. Um, I, I, I do think that down the road. Uh, that that's a contract that's going to kind of put some air brakes on a team. Um, you know, and, and that's no disrespect to Nazem Kadri. It's just that he's, what is he, 32, and you signed him for seven years. So there's there's going to be a natural slowdown towards the end of that deal. Um, it, it does leave the Islanders with a little more cap flexibility, not much. There's still only $3.5 under the cap. Um, so, you know, it, in order to have brought in Tadry or Gaudreau, if he had been even faintly, remotely, faintly, remotely interested in the Islanders, which I don't think he was, um, they, they they had to move out some salary. And I think what Lou was kind of talking around today was uh, he couldn't move the salary. He he talked about you know if, to to bring in something he felt like he was going to have to give up too much and you know, to move a Josh Bailey salary or, or, or you know, uh, he probably would have had to thrown in a really high pick. And I, I don't know whether he was uh, willing to do that. And, uh, you know, he probably would have had to move on from an Anthony Beauvillier uh, to create tap space. And I think he thought that that would put his team, as, as he said, you know, you can't downgrade the team to improve it. And that's where he felt he was. And, you know, the, the, the disappointment question, and, and, and I was the one who asked Lou that. And the way I framed it was they built this new arena, UBS arena. Um, and, and part of the idea, other than, you know, obviously increased revenue and better financial stability for the team was they really, you know, wanted this arena to be a selling point to marquee free agents. And uh, I've been writing this summer that the fact that they couldn't attract a Goudreau or a Nazem Kadri, um, even with this new arena was a disappointment, had to be a disappointment to the franchise. So that's the way I phrased it to Lou. Um, and he sort of turned it around and made it a bigger picture thing about no one should be disappointed. And he believes in his team, but you know, still, uh, it remains to be seen whether Lou and the Islanders are going to be able next off season to 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 sell this this group in this arena to, to marquee free agents.
0: So yeah, as you mentioned, they missed out on Goudreau. They missed out on Kadri. Uh, a lot of Canucks fans who are hoping that the Canucks can make a move for or to trade away JT Miller see the Islanders as kind of a logical landing spot just based on them missing out on those two guys but still seemingly needing someone like Miller who's just an elite top six forward. Do you see a fit between the two teams? Like I struggled to see how the salary would fit A but also what the Islanders would be sending back that would be enough for the Canucks.
2: Well, yeah, uh, I mean, like I said, uh, the, the the tradable parts on the Islanders really—you're looking at a Josh Bailey, who's got, you know, a couple of years left at five million or uh, per season, but you know, uh, with with some diminishing production as as he kind of goes on the other side of thirty. Anthony Beauvillier, uh, you know, he's in at one po- uh, $4.15 point one five million uh, through twenty-four. Um, he's a tradable asset. Um, But I I don't know how much either one really excites the Canucks uh, for what they want to do. So that's why I'm saying, you know, uh, Lou would have to include probably multiple high-end draft picks. And I I think that's where Lou is a little reticent. And look, as a player, just from the Islanders' standpoint, I I think JT Miller would be a perfect fit um, for, for the style that Lou Lamarillo and and Lane Lambert are are trying to put on the ice. Uh, You know, I I covered JT when he came up with the Rangers. And, you know, it's been really fun covering his career and seeing him develop into this really elite NHL player. And he would would fit in perfectly with the Islanders for this season. But then you really got to, you know, I, I don't know how there's any salary cap room with what the Islanders have to do uh, with re-signing Matthew Barzell uh, next offseason, how you're also going to be able to fit a JT Miller under that salary cap.
0: One thing I wonder about is, obviously, Lou's getting a bit up there in age, and I I wonder, and I, I kind of don't know, but is there a fear in New York that the Islanders may be going all in on a roster that can't really go too far just because Lou wants to get that one last or couple, couple shots at a cup before he... Eventually retires.
2: Um, you know, I I I don't know that I I I agree with 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 your point, but I don't know if that's necessarily how everything comes together because you know knowing Lou back when he was with the Devils, you know, twenty years ago, this is the way he thought at age sixty. Let let alone, you know, he's going to be eighty in October and i I will say this uh, when it when it comes to Lou lamarillo's age he is not he's as sharp as they come, and i I wish I was in the shape that Lou Lamarillo was in you know he's he's in fantastic shape um but yeah it, Lou Lamarillo does not believe in the word rebuild or reload he's he really is always going for it. So I I don't think that's a function of his age or his contract status or anything like that. He just, he always believes in giving his players on the ice in the organization a chance to win this year and and every year is this year. And, you know, it it didn't work out towards the end of his devil's run Um, 2012 run to the Stanley cup final aside, um, you know, his last, Two three seasons there were kind of down seasons, um, and he, he could be going that direction with the Islanders in terms of you know kind of getting the cupboards a little bit there uh, to to go for this season. But uh, you know there are there are a few prospects in the pipeline, maybe not as many as other organizations right now, but there you know specifically Aturatu, um, with with Finland. I think there's a lot of excitement that he could be something the team builds around in the future.
0: Uh, last thing I wanted to touch on was uh, Matt Barzal and you mentioned it. His uh, Lou didn't really seem to want to talk about it. Like he, he doesn't really seem to want to talk about a lot of things, um, but he's an RFA after this season. Do you see him signing long-term with the Islanders? or My, my fear is that Barzal might not do that just because the roster... It, there's a lot of older players on it and like you mentioned, there are a few prospects, but I don't know if the pipeline really makes it seem like they have a lot of uh, long-term success. What do you think about his future, Barzal, in New York?
2: Yeah, I mean, certainly when, when we've talked to Matt about it, and he has not hesitated um, in, in expressing a desire to be here long-term. But I, I also agree, and I've, I've written, that the Islanders have to kind of show him that that it's worth being here. That they're 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 going to build a, a team that's going to compete year in and year out. I I think this season is really important in terms of showing that to Matt Barzell. On, on the other hand, you know he's going to be a restricted free agent. He does have arbitration rights coming up. So you know for all we talk about offer sheets and all that, Matt's options after this season are are really limited, really. I mean, if if the Islanders want him back, he's going to be back here, Uh, you know, at least for another couple of seasons. So I'm not worried about losing Matt Barzell after this season, but I I would be worried about losing him as an unrestricted free agent if if Lou can't build this roster a little bit uh, to be a little bit more potent. And I, I know Matt does get frustrated with, because he plays such a unique game, and they really struggled to find players they could put on the ice with him last season. Um, and, and I think that was a frustration, and they do need to get some complimentary line mates for Matt Barzell uh, at, at some point. He is Andrew Gross. You can follow
0: him at a Gross Newsday. Uh Andrew, appreciate you taking the time today.
2: Uh, Josh, pleasure talking to you, and I uh, hope the rest of your summer goes well. For sure. Thanks. You too.
0: That is Andrew Gross, covers the New York Islanders for Newsday.com. A lot of interesting things coming from that. As we mentioned, I, I just really wonder if Barzal sees a future in New York with the Islanders. Because, I mean, if I were him, I look at the roster and I'm like, man, there's a lot of 30-plus-year-old guys on this team, not a lot of prospects. Can this team really improve enough to be a Stanley Cup contender when I'm in my prime?
1: And I think the Islanders, when they made those back-to-back trips to the conference finals, however you want to classify them, against Tampa Bay, that was a lunch-bucket type of team that worked their tails off to get as far as they did and push Tampa Bay. And they probably played to the peak of their ability when it comes to that roster. Is there a next level with what's left there Tampa, or on Long Island to get to that next level? I don't think so. Yeah. I think they maxed out. Yeah.
0: and It I- might have
1: been a product of having Barry Trotz as their head coach and pushing him the way that he did because they were such a tough out.
0: Yeah, and that's the other thing. Barry Trotz isn't there anymore. I wonder how that plays into it as well as far as trying to get free agents to sign in New York. You don't have that coach anymore that's like, hey, you know what? He can build a system that most players have success in. So we'll have to see what Lane Lambert does there. Maybe that kind of revitalizes... Matt Barzell, maybe he's able to put up more of the offensive numbers that I think we all assume he's capable of more, but has just been limited by the system on Long Island. I do wonder, though, if he looks at that and says, hey, I'll take a bridge, I want to walk to UFA. Obviously, the Islanders are going to do everything they can to keep him. He's their best player, maybe aside from Elias Hirokin, but I would probably put Matt Barzell there. He's their definitely their most important skater. But... Let's say he does want to walk to UFA. That kind of puts him on the trade market as well. And who knows if the Canucks could maybe swing that. I don't think the Canucks would be the the location that would make the most sense just based on their prospect system. But there'd be a lot up in the air in New York. The other thing Andrew mentioned was Josh Bailey potentially being a guy that goes back. He has the $5 AV. We mentioned earlier that if a trade was to go down between the Canucks and Islanders for someone like JT Miller, there would probably have to be salary going back to Vancouver. I think Josh Bailey would probably be that guy. But then again, not only are, if you're the Islanders, you're paying the price for JT Miller, you're also paying the price to unload a contract, which really drives the price up, and that's a lot. We do get a text unsigned. Miller isn't going anywhere as much as you guys over at 650 want him gone. He's our best player. He was your best player this past season. Do you want him to be your best player for the next seven seasons?
1: And that's the thing. And even if it's JT Miller going back to the Islanders, does he look at that situation even now with the signings that they've made and said, that's a team that's ready to be a cup contender and am I going to commit long-term to that even after the news of today? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I would lean, still lean towards no.
0: No. And I think you only if you're the Islanders, you only make that move if you know that he's going to sign there. I will say, as far as this text goes, as much as you guys over at 650 want him gone, he's our best player. Again, I agree that he was the best player last season. I think moving forward, you assume or you hope that Elias Patterson or Quinn Hughes are going to be that best player. And I do think Hughes was right there this past season. I wouldn't be surprised if... here. Here's the thing. Every player has a peak season. It's yes. not unrealistic. It's very realistic, I would say, to assume that JT Miller's peak season was a 99-point year where he had a lot of opportunities, he had a lot of power play time, and he was kind of right in his prime age, 29 years old. Or what if the last three years are his peak window? Exactly. And that's very realistic. A 27-year-old to 29-year-old putting up really good numbers a lot of times once you reach 30. And there are guys that do have success past 30. I mean, look at Claude Giroux, for example. He's still able to put up points. And I know... A lot of Miller's success comes from being on the power play, and those guys tend to age better than others because there's not a lot of movement on the power play. It's not as skating-focused. But that being said, I just it's really tough to see how he can continue to be the Canucks' best player over the next few seasons, let alone if you sign him to a six-year, seven-year contract. And maybe he doesn't have to be if you sign him for something like the Nazem Khadri contact, contract, 7 by 7 But if it's anything over that, if it's 7 by 8 or something like that, I don't think he's going to be at that level throughout the contract, let alone, I don't even know if he's going to be that level for more than two or three more seasons.
1: And how much do you have to consider whenever you're signing a player of that age to that type of term, that there's a decent chance, no matter what, that Years 5, 6, and 7 are not going to go as planned, and you have to find a way to get rid of it no matter what. Mm-hmm. Right? How much do you have to put that into your thought process when giving out a contract of that magnitude? Especially
0: when that is likely Elias Patterson and Quinn Hughes' prime.
1: Yes. That's when you want to be able to add players, not be trying to shed players. Yeah, and Patterson could be right in the window where Miller is right now, and how much do you want to hinder that? Mm-hmm. And so we'll have to see how that goes. We got a lot of text on JT
0: Miller. Miller, uh, guys, there will not be a JT Miller decision until after Horvat is signed or traded. That's from Tim in South Surrey. I kind of agree. I do think the Canucks have a better understanding based on what we've heard from reports of what Bo Horvat is going to cost. I don't think there's really a threat of trading him otherwise we probably would have heard whispers or been talking about it a little bit more than there has been that's why the JT Miller conversation keeps coming up is cuz it seems like Horvat's the logical fit to sign long term he's your captain he's a few years younger i do think Miller is probably the better player personally if i had to choose one i would choose miller but it seems like Man- Canucks management is pretty intent on extending Bo Horvat and yeah, it's really tough. And we got another text. People who think JT Miller's stain don't understand the cap. How do we keep JT and Bo then re-sign Pedersen at the end of his bridge? And that's the big issue is it seems like you can only have one. And maybe you can be really creative. You can fit all three in. But it's going to be much easier if you just re-sign Bo Horvat, figure something out with JT Miller, whether that be a trade or whatever. And then that gives you some... Clarity on, hey, okay, we have this much cap for Elias Petterson. We have to fit him in that window. I do think, again, and we this isn't news, but I think the Canucks are only going to be able to fit one of JT Miller or Bo Horvat, Bo Horvat in that cap situation.
1: And whatever happens with JT Miller, it is going to be the one move that's going to have the biggest and most significant ramifications of the franchise going forward. Definitely. It, it's
0: going to make or break the next few years whether you trade
1: them, whether you sign them, or you let them walk for nothing because we know those are the only three options and all three of them have significant ramifications that will have ripple effect elsewhere
0: uh we do get so we're gonna hit the break soon I do want to get this text in Marcus and Gibson's Eddie would you take a season with Miller and he walks or you can swap Miller for Nylander
1: is somebody trying to tap me in the back (laughs) of the ankles and trying to poke the bear I see what you're doing there, Marcus. It's it's a nice sunny day. I bet it's beautiful in Gibson's today. I'm not taking the bait on that one. (laughs) Still early in the day, though.
0: Yes, we'll we'll get to it later. This is uh, Sportsnet Today with Josh Elliott. producer Eddie Gregory alongside me. Uh, We will be back. I mentioned it earlier. I want to talk a bit about the future of the Pacific Division. We'll do that next on Sportsnet 650. This is Sportsnet Today. I'm Josh Elliott-Wolf alongside producer Eddie Gregory today. We'll be here till 2 at 2. The People Show takes over uh, with Randy Janda and Israel Fair. Uh, they're going to be joined by Neil McAvoy of the BC Lions. Going to talk about that Rourke injury and kind of what it means for the team moving forward. Uh, also, at, so that's at 2.30 at 3.30. Don Taylor. Weekly guest. He's going to join. Probably going to talk a little bit of Lions and more. Never know what he's going to talk
1: and about. And keep you up to date in the world of sports.
0: Keeping you up to date in the world of sports. A little pen flick and you're done. Absolutely. Woo! Gets me fired up. Uh, so they're going to have that at 2 o'clock. Next segment, so at one thirty, I want to talk a bit about the Jays weekend in New York. They were able to take 3 of 4 against a struggling New York Yankees team. Uh, Jays not in action today, they will be in action tomorrow, uh, but a three-way tie in the three wild card spots right now, so that's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds, how the Mariners kind of fit into that, how the Jays fit into that, we'll talk about that at 1.30. One thing I wanted to get into right now, I wanted to rank the Pacific Division in 2024, 2025 and we got a lot of text when I said this earlier in the show like what are you doing there's a season this year first off I I completely understand I know people want to hear about this season we've talked a lot about this season
1: and there's a season after that before you get to the one you want yeah. to talk about
0: yeah so there's two seasons and then the, and then the one I want to talk about
1: you don't want to talk about the one seven years from now
0: no well we'll get there that's for next week um but I want to talk about 2024 2025 Mainly because that's when I think the Canucks window, Stanley Cup window, could open. And look, as high as some people are on this team right now, I think even the most optimistic Canucks fan would say, hey, it would take a lot of things going their way to even make the Western Conference final, let alone the Stanley Cup final, let alone win the Stanley Cup. So that's why I'm looking a few years ahead. Also, the signing of Nazem Kadri, Jonathan Huberdeau, by the Flames had me thinking about where the Pacific Division as a whole might be, because I think after you saw those two signings, the Uyghur-Huberdeau trade, you were kind of like, you know what, the Flames, though I thought they might be bad next year, they seem like they're going to be first in the Pacific again, or at least taking up a playoff spot. Um, And look, another thing before we get into this, I know a lot of things can change between now and then. The Canucks just from a Canucks point of view, are vastly different than they were two and a half, three years ago. Every team is going to be like that. We're kind of just projecting how these teams have set themselves up to be competitive in that season and beyond. So pretty much, I picked 2024-25 as a year, but it's essentially, hey, which of these teams projects to be best moving forward? Not this season, not next season, but in the future. Which, is that okay?
1: That's totally fine. Yes. All right.
0: Thank you. Um, So let's get into it. I'm going to start from the bottom. I'm going to work my way up. Some of these might be hot takes. Again, a lot could change. We're going to start with an eighth place in 2024, 2025, or at least at the bottom of the division. Who knows? Maybe there's a realignment somewhere in that time. A lot can change. Uh, the San Jose Sharks, I'm going to put at eight. And I think that's a pretty obvious one. They're players that they have under contract for that season. Logan Couture, Thomas Hurdle, Nico Sturm, Eric Carlson, Mark Edward Vlasic, and then a couple others. Plus, they have the retention of Brent Burns. That's the final year of that season. And a bio to Martin Jones still on the book. So they have just over $45 million committed to that season already. Plus, they will have to re-sign or trade Timo Meyer, who had a really good year this year. Um, so I wonder how that would go, and we'll see how that unfolds for the San Jose Sharks. But the other thing is I do think it would be really hard to see how they shed a bit of salary in that time. Like, none of those players are trending
3: upwards.
1: They have a lot of cat mess that they still have to really clean out. Yeah, And Mike Greer has a lot of work to do ahead of him down in San Jose just to give himself an opportunity to truly try and build the team that he has for the vision as the GM of the San Jose Sharks, and you just think maybe in two years' time is just when that mess is starting to be cleaned up, and then that's when the draft picks and whatever else Greer does in San Jose will just start to kick in. So that might just be the start of the real rebuild and you know the reopening of the window or the climbing of the mountain, so to speak, for San Jose to get out from this mess. Yeah,
0: that might be the rock bottom, so to speak, yes. of two, three years from now, it's gonna look bad, and maybe maybe they're able able to figure something out. Maybe some of those players have a bounce back. Like I don't think Logan Couture and Thomas Hurdle are necessarily negative value, but you signed them for a long time when they were already pretty old. It's gonna it's not gonna age very well.
1: San Jose probably needs one or two like top five or top ten franchise pillars in the next couple of drafts to really put them on the right path to rebuilding properly and cleaning out from this mess.
0: Yes. Okay. So seventh. Moving up to seventh, the Calgary Flames. And I know this might be a hot take because they're a really good team right now. They're probably going to be a really good team this season and next season. But I wonder how big that window is. And I'm going to say that 2024-2025, which, again, I know it's stupid to talk about, but I'm doing it, is the beginning of their downfall.
1: Absolutely. I can see that. Mm-hmm. Like the trades that they made and the signing of Kadri, definitely says our window is wide open right now. Obviously lost some big pieces in the Kachuk trade and Goudreau, but bringing in Huberto O, and Kadri to go along with Markstrom in between the pipes. It says Calgary's window is now. They can't plan for two or three years down the road. What's going to happen with Daryl Sutter in a few years' time? I mean, a lot of those big contracts that they have are really close, or just past 30 years old, and... As we know, you know it doesn't age well in and around that thirty mark. Yeah,
0: so I do. So they have a few players on the books: so Huberto, Kadri, Mangiopani, Blake Colbin, Rasmus Anderson, Jacob Markstrom. That's who's on their books for that season. Plus, they'll probably extend Mackenzie Wieger, which right now, without Wieger on the books, is thirty-eight-ish million. So look, they they can add quite a bit. The other thing is they have a lot of players expiring before that time. They have Elias Lindholm. They have uh, Chris Tanev, Tyler DeFoley, Noah Hannafin. So not only do are those players, and look, a lot of those players are kind of old. You're probably not going to re-sign them. But the guys that you do want to re-sign are going to be due for pay raises if they continue to play as they have been. So that's the Flames. I do think they have a couple decent prospects, but I don't know if they have enough to make up for it. They have Dustin Wolf. The goalie, who I think is gonna be good and might step in for Markstrom, but aside from that, I, I I don't know. I'm a little I'm a little down on the flames past the next couple seasons. In sixth, I'm gonna put the Vegas Golden Knights. So projecting their system, the Vegas Golden Knights, I would have in sixth. Uh their players under contract, so they have a lot of players under contract long term. Jack Eichel, Mark Stone, William Carlson. Briley uh, Smith, Nicholas Waugh, Keegan Colasar, Petrangelo, Shade Theodore, and a couple other defensemen, and Robin Leonard. That's the last season of Robin Leonard. So they already have 67 million committed to that season. I do think guys like Jack Eichel are still going to be worth their contract at the time, and I don't really question whether or not that's going to work out for them. I just wonder if they have too much committed and they don't really have enough space to do other things and add players. Like we're already seeing them this season be a team that might not make the playoffs or at least is in a conversation of, hey, you're in a similar spot as Vancouver and LA. You're battling
1: for that last playoff spot. And the biggest thing with them is you mentioned it, Robin Leonard. We don't know what their goaltending situation is going to be like. You know, what's their long term solution? at such a critical position. And I think you have to plan for it because their track record says so. Vegas being Vegas, and by that I mean taking another big swing at whatever shiny object becomes available the next two years. Mm -hmm. Until they prove that they can say no to the big shiny object, you have to assume that they're going to still want the big shiny object, whatever becomes available. Right? And I kind of love it, honestly.
0: Like, if I was a fan of a team, anytime there's a good player on the market, I would want my team to be going after them. But we're seeing it catch up with Vegas now, and... Look, you're right. They're such a wild card. They might make a bunch of trades. It might be a completely different team two, three years from now. But if I was to project it moving forward, I just don't know if they have the pieces, the cap space, or the prospect system to
1: really improve on what they have. And what most traditional expansion teams do is build from the ground and you know, young prospects might finally be coming to you know, bite them in the backside, so to speak, mm-hmm. six or seven years in.
0: Definitely. So I might even, look, if you want to flip Vegas and Calgary, that's fine. I just think they're both going to be on the downswing at that time. Though I do think in the next year or two, they are going to be very competitive. My fifth, who I would have in fifth, two, three years from now, three, four years from now, the Seattle Kraken. And I will say, I do think they'll be on the upswing at that time. It's hard to be on the downswing from where they are now, but So on the books, they have $45 committed three years from now. Jaden Schwartz, Andre Burakovsky, Oliver Bjorkstrand, Yanni Gord, Jared McCann, Brandon Tanev, Jamie Alexiak, Adam Larson, Philip Grubauer. So a lot of the main themes on these teams that I'm laying out, they don't really have a goalie prospect that seems like they can pan out long-term. And so Philip Grubauer is on the books. He doesn't... We saw what he did this year. I don't think he's the guy in Seattle long-term, and they don't really have anyone in the system to fill that spot. I like Maddie Beneers and Shane Wright a lot, so the spine of that team looks really good long-term. And I do think, you look at Oliver Bjorkstrand, I think that was a really good trade. I just wonder if they committed money to a lot of players that are middle-six players, kind of what the Canucks did, and that might come back to bite them. Plus, they don't really have too many defensive prospects, so I could see their build... Taking longer than two or three seasons, like i I think this is a pretty stereotypical expansion team, very different from what Vegas did in that this is gonna take a while for them to be good and eventually when they do build that up, it could be a really really good team that could be challenging four cups and challenging the Canucks for like starting that rivalry that Pacific Northwest rivalry that we thought might start last season. the Canucks just won all the games and Seattle was bad but That would be cool to see. I could also see them very easily being lower than Vegas and Calgary if Seattle's prospects don't pan out as quick as they hope they would, or if Vegas and Calgary take another season or two to drop off so far. Also, in fourth, Edmonton. They have players under contract. McDavid, Dreisaitl is going to be in his last season. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Zach Hyman. Evander Kane, Darnell Nurse, Cody CeCe, Brett Kulak, Jack Campbell. They are pretty interesting in the long term. I do think Jack Campbell, his contract is a little bit concerning. I don't know if he's the guy for them moving forward. But I could also see them very easily being one of the best teams in the division, if not the best team, just based on having the top-end talent that they have. They will have to re-sign Dreisaitl, though, so moving forward... I wonder if they're able to fit that in. And we also have to see how the contracts of Hyman, Kane, and again, Jack Campbell age over the next few years. If the Oilers have to keep looking for a goalie, I can't see them going very far. But if those players work out, they could be a top two team in the division. I'm going to speed through the next few teams. And we got texts saying, hey, there's other things to talk about. Why are you talking about this? There are other things to talk about, but this is a long-term outlook of the Pacific Division, and look, that's important to where the Canucks are right now because they just brought in new management, and we need to kind of see how they're going to project long-term because right now I don't think this season is their cup window. When will that open? And that's what I'm kind of interested in. It's tough to see where things go just because a lot of things can change, and I understand that. We will be talking about the Blue Jays. We will be talking about the Mariners' playoff race next segment at 1.30. And we have talked about the BC Lions their weekend. We did talk to Andrew Gross about the Islanders and a few other things. So, third place, Anaheim. Players under contract, Ryan Strom, Frank Fetrano, Mason McTavish, Cam Fowler, John Gibson. That's it. But that being said, they do have a lot of RFAs. They have a lot of prospects that will be coming up at that time. Namely, Trevor Zegers will still be in RFA. He will obviously be re-signed. And it will be it, – it's going to be interesting to see how their prospect system develops because I think it's really good. And they have a few that are already in the in the NHL, namely Trevor Zegers, McTavish is going to be there this year, and then Jamie Drysdale as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, but the big question is who's going to be the goalie? Again, Right? yeah. That's a big one. John Gibson has been talked about a lot as – a goaltender with a lot of potential. When he's really, really good, he's one of the best in the NHL. But when he's not, he's underwhelming at best. And what's he going to be like in two or three years' time? I could see Anaheim being one of those teams that may be nipping on the heels of a playoff spot but also be just not quite good enough to get there. You know, that bad window of 81 to 85, 86 points at their best but still not good enough to get into that, 92, 93, 95-ish, and really push yourselves and get into a playoff spot. There's some good pieces there. Is there enough to really get them into the playoffs yet?
0: Yeah, and the goalie is the big concern. And again, that's the same for a lot of teams in the division. Anaheim, San Jose, Seattle. Like, is there a team that has a long-term goalie other than the Canucks? And we'll get to the Canucks, but is there a team that has their guy long-term in the division? I don't think so. Maybe if John Gibson works out and kind of regains his form, but... Anaheim's problem is they kind of run him into the ground early in the year and then by the end of the year they start falling out of a playoff spot because he's exhausted. And they they almost need a one B to go with his one A.
1: Absolutely. And that's a story that I was reading not too long ago. Are there enough good goalies in the NHL? And can the Anaheim Ducks or any of these teams find that next really, really good goalie because with thirty-two goalies and sixty-four total once you had your one twos you know, it gets really thin really, really fast. And so many teams have that challenge of finding that serviceable guy. And is Anaheim going to be able to find that next solution? For sure. Uh, second, now
0: this is where I kind of went back and forth. There's the Canucks and the Kings left. I put the Kings at number two. And the reason I did that is because they have $39 million committed to guys like uh, Kevin Fiala, who I think is really good. Philip Deneau, Adrian Campe, Alex follow, Drew Doughty, and Cal Peterson. So again, they don't really have that goalie long-term. Quick will have expired by then. Uh, I do think Kevin Fiala is going to age well. I wonder how that Drew Doughty contract goes, though. Maybe someone that ends up on LTIR moving forward. Uh, but their prospect system is still one of the best in the league. Quinton Byfield, Alex Turcott. Those guys have yet to hit their their prime, have yet to really make an impact at the NHL level. Um, Brent Clark, as well, is going to make an impact on defense. Their right
1: side of defense is really, really good. And they've quietly done it really, really well in terms of bottoming out in the last few years, loading up on prospects, and now is just really starting to come to the forefront. And I think LA's culture is in a spot where a guy like a Drew Doughty who's getting a little up there in age, but they found a way to have their veterans still be significant contributors. Dustin Brown was a decent contributor right up until he retired. Kopitar still finding ways to contribute to that team. And who's and who's to say that Drew Doughty won't follow the exact same path? He may get paid a lot, but he still may find a way to have a lot of value to that team long-term. And Rob Blake's done a quietly really good job down in LA, you know, that team was built under Dean Lombardi to win a couple Stanley Cups in a three-year window. They quickly fell out from from them, but they started their rebuild shortly thereafter, and it's starting to pay dividends now. And there's no reason to believe that LA is not going to be successful again, maybe knocking on the door again as one of the best teams in the West in the next two or three years time. For sure. And so this leaves at number one
0: your Vancouver Canucks. So maybe this is a hot take. I know. But here's who they have committed at the time. They have Brock Besser, Connor Garland, Ilya Mikheyev, Curtis Lazar, Quinn Hughes, Oliver ekman larsson which is the scary one, Tucker Poolman, and Thatcher Demko. And the reason I have them at number one is because they have the goalie. And that's the biggest thing. That's the hardest thing to find in the NHL right now is a young goalie who can be your guy moving forward. And... I think only a few teams have that. The Rangers have that with Shesterkin. The Lightning have that with Andre Vasilevsky. The Islanders maybe have it with Ilya Sorokin. There are a few guys around the league, and there's probably more Jake Ottinger in Dallas, but the Canucks have the guy, and I think they're the only team in the division with that number one, put it on the board, that's your guy moving forward, goaltender, and... He signed to a very team friendly contract through his prime.
1: Absolutely. You can't argue with that point but do the Canucks have the enough goalies plural to make to maximize the potential in Thatcher Demko? You know, take some of that workload off his shoulders so years 4 and 5 of that contract are still very very valuable and, you know, a bargain in the NHL. How do you maximize Thatcher Demko's potential? in terms of finding the right workload for him. I'm yeah. just playing, playing a little devil's advocate. No, your point, I get what you're saying. Your point is bang on.
0: You can't argue that the... You can't John Gibson him, though. You no, can't you, run him into the ground, and then that last two or three years of his contract look pretty bad.
1: And then you wonder, what if? Yes. Like, what if, say, the Canucks have another year like this year other than the bad start, but they're competitive, and for whatever reason, Demko runs out of steam by you know the middle of March, and... You know, they're limping towards maybe not getting into the playoffs because they've overworked Demko in October, November, December. Mm-hmm. And a lot of
0: this does depend on what number the contracts for Pedersen, Horvat, And if you keep Miller, that changes uh, a few things as well. But I think the benefit that the Canucks have is most of the teams that I mentioned will either be exiting their prime or trying to get into their prime whereas I think the Canucks will be right there Pedersen and Hughes will be at a perfect age Demko will be Horvat will be kind of at the tail end of his prime years I would say but they have a lot of other players that will be coming up in Pedersen or sorry in Podkolzin, Hoaglander and a few others the prospect system is what needs work and that's maybe why you trade someone like JT Miller but that being said I think the main piece and that I- I think a lot of people would have much more confidence in this team if they can find that right-handed defenseman for Hughes, which is uh, much easier said than
1: done. And that goes to, I think, what I said earlier. The long-term ramifications of whatever happens with J.T. Miller will really be felt at that point in two or three years' time, whether it be the assets that the Canucks get in a trade or you know the players that they can't bring in because they've signed J.T. Miller to a long-term deal – or even losing J.T. Miller for nothing, right? And that's where you have to really think about the impact of the J.T. Miller situation, regardless of how it turns itself out. It may be paying, or maybe having a big impact, as you say, in 24-25.
0: For sure. So that's how I project all these systems playing out. I picked 20-24-25. I have a lot of text in the text inbox saying, hey, this is dumb. Don't do this. And I get it. But it was more of a projection of how these teams are going to develop. I picked a random year.
1: Sorry, I picked the random year. It won't happen again. Uh, but that being said. Until you're looking for the next time to fill a segment and get people riled up. Yeah, here's the thing as well. When can we prepare for the 27-28? We, we need to fill segments sometimes. And yes. this just filled
0: it. Yes. And I do think it's interesting. It's interesting to see how these teams might develop and there are a lot of things that could happen in that time I'm very aware but I think the Canucks have set themselves up in the midterm to be decent having or have a pretty good shot at opening that cup window if they execute well over the next two or three years and I put them with teams like the Kings like the Ducks who I think might have other issues that the Canucks will maybe have to a similar extent, but not as bad. So there's that. We are going to talk more about the Canucks next segment because there was something that came out about Vasily Colson. And is he better than some players on the Canucks that we might not have even thought to put him in the same conversation as? We'll talk about that next segment. This is Sportsnet Today with Josh Elliott-Wolf and producer Eddie Gregory on Sportsnet 650. It is Sportsnet Today with Josh Elliott-Wolf. Last half hour until we pass you off to the people Show with Randeep Janda and Israel Fair. I'm alongside Eddie Gregory right now. We're talking uh, a little bit of hockey, a little bit of football earlier in the show. You can always download the podcast in uh, Sportsnet Today. I think it will be. We'll find out. Sportsnet Today.
1: That's where I've been told to upload it to. So. Yes,
0: it is Sportsnet Today because the Sportsnet Tonight page is no more. So Sportsnet Today... You can find it on sportsnet.ca slash six fifty. You can also text in the 650 650 Dunbar Lumber Text line. Uh we are going to talk about weather eight years from now. That's what Nathan Comox wants us to talk about. You know what? I think it might be sunny. August twenty second, twenty thirty. I think it's gonna rain. Yeah, well, let's place our bets. Put it down now. Absolutely. I'm gonna I'm gonna say partly cloudy. You know what? I You I, said sunny. Now I you're going to go sunny, partly cloudy. I am locking in partly cloudy. No, you said sunny. You know, you can't change it. Fair enough. You know what? And I I'll said take it's got that rain.
1: too. I'll take that too. that has got clouds. So I think I'm going to win. So I'm going to win 20 bucks and call you on it in 8 years time. <laughs>
0: you're you're a little bit bolder than I am with the rain. That's a that's a tough call, but hey, you I've know what? I lived in Vancouver my whole life. You're right. You're right. It's a safe bet. Um but no, we are going to talk about I don't know if you saw this quote, Eddie. Um but it was making the rounds yesterday.
1: I did, and I shook my head.
0: <laughs> this is from Pete Jensen, talking about Vasily Podkolzin. Pete Jensen, I believe, writes for NHL.com about fantasy rankings and, and stuff of the sorts. Uh, but he was talking about Vasily Podkolzin in fantasy hockey. And he said, two to three years from now, I expect Podkolzin to be the best winger on the Canucks. Which, you know what, fair. Maybe Maybe he will be two to three years from now. I just talked about two to three years from now for a whole segment. Beat that, Pete. Uh, but here's where it gets a little iffy. He says, all due respect to Brock Besser, which you know what? Maybe you're a little low on Brock Besser. Maybe you the you don't see rookie Besser anymore and you say, hey, he's a, he's a really good second line forward, but he's not your best winger. But then he also says, all
1: due respect to
0: Elias Pettersson.
1: And that's, I think, where the fighting words start Ooh, to kick in.
0: That's a spicy take, which, you know what? I appreciate spicy takes, but that's a little too spicy. Yeah. It, it's. He, here's the thing. My first issue with it is Patterson isn't a winger. I know Elias Patterson played on the wing a bit this season. He played there because he was kind of struggling to start the year. I don't know if you heard he had a bad start to the year. Did he? Some people might have wanted him traded because of it. But regardless, I do think he's still a center long-term. So I wouldn't classify him as a winger.
1: And the vast majority of his career when he's been successful has been as a center. Yeah. And why would the Canucks ever try and get away from that? Yeah. You know, And they've, lot- they've invested on Elias Pettersson basically being the franchise center for the next... I mean, he's only signed to a three-year two, deal, two more years left, yeah. but... Plan on him being the franchise center for the next five to seven years, you would think.
0: As he should be. And I think the Canucks, even though they played him on the wing a bit last season, they still see him as a center. They're not like, hey, you know what? The ship sailed on Pedersen as a center. He's still that guy, especially with the two-way game he plays. And And also, even if he was a
1: winger, he's going to be better than Pod Colson. And I'm really high on Pod Colson. Absolutely. And what if Pod Colson is just a great up-and-down winger? Bangs and crashes and goes to the net. But... The thing with a statement like that, especially in a market like Vancouver, is Vancouver's going to see it and Vancouver's going to nitpick it because Vancouver nitpicks everything. And you have to know what you're talking about. Even if it's just online or in the internet, I don't know where this person works, but it's going to be seen by people in Vancouver and people are going to react to it. We and- will find it. And, yeah, yeah. it has become a segment now at one thirty-five in the afternoon on a Monday. <laughs> yeah. Monday, August 22nd.
0: Wait, a, I I dare you to say something about the Canucks right now. I will find it. Uh, but that's crazy. It, it got me thinking about Pod Colson's outlook though. And when I saw, look, we can ignore the Pedersen thing. I don't think a- anyone can be convinced that Pod Colson is gonna be pe- better than Pedersen. If he is, that's really good for the Canucks because that must mean Pod Colson really worked out or it's really bad for the Canucks because Pedersen completely fell off but we're not we're not even going to talk about that what interested me was the Besser part because I can see a route to Vasily and being better than Brock Besser
1: especially two way absolutely and have we what is the best for Brock Besser at this point i would say like a 30
0: 35 goal year, 65, 70 point season, which is really
1: good. Yes. When do we see it? That's the other big question that we have. Yes. Right. And I think it's reasonable to expect when are we going to see the best out of Brock Besser in a Vancouver Canucks uniform because the clock is starting to tick. It might have been his rookie year. And that's not
0: no fault of his own. He had a lot of off ice issues going on this past season. I do want to see how he bounces back this year with maybe a bit of a clearer focus on what's going on on the ice. Uh, hopefully that works out for him. But I do... Not only... like. I think Besser can reach a, another level, but I just think Podkolzin has two or three more levels to go.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, if Besser at his peak, he'll probably be the better finisher than Vasily Podkolzin. But Podkolzin might be better than Besser in other areas that don't get all the limelight. Maybe it's the physical work along the boards. Maybe it's in a two-way game, but Mm -hmm. if Besser finds his peak as an offensive contributor, it'd be hard to argue that Podkolzin is better than Brock Besser.
0: It would be. So let's say, let's put this scenario out there. Let's say Vasily Podkolzin, or sorry, let's say Brock Besser has a 65-point year, 30 to 35 goals. That's his peak. Let's say in the same peak for Vasily Podkolzin is around 50 to 55 points, 25, 30 goals. But he's a better two-way player. And also, like, here's the other thing about Pod Colson. I really want to see how he performs in the playoffs. Because he seems like a guy that can really turn it on.
1: And that's just it, right? You can throw out, you know, all these milestones. Like you say, 30 goals and 60 plus points or 25 and 50. You know, it's that's where, you know, the real value of players gets measured. And it's hard to, you know... Compare that with milestones like you say. Yeah. Right? It's hard and to quantify it. It is really hard to quantify because as you know, I'm I'm a details person and I love you know the importance of details in hockey and That's why you love William Nylander.
3: <laughs>
1: that's another slash in the back of the ankle. <laughs> that's another and look how they've done in the last five years. Fair I think enough. I think that's that's my, gonna be my case until proven otherwise. But if, you know, Pod Colson becomes that key penalty killer, or maybe that key matchup guy that allows Brock Besser to become a more dynamic offensive score collectively. Maybe their collective talents combined ultimately push the Canucks over the top. And how do you quantify that?
0: Yeah, it's it's going to be really tough. to. Even if they both hit a peak, it, it'll be hard to kind of grade them against each other. So text in 650-650 who you think might be Better between the two Maybe between the three Maybe you think Colson Might be better than Pedersen Text that in 650-650 I wanted to get to Something We're gonna Replay Julio Caravetta uh, From the morning show He was talking about The BC Lions Color commentator For the Lions But we're gonna do that In a few minutes Before that I wanted to talk about The baseball Over the weekend The baseball They played it Not oh, New- baseball
1: <laughs> You could have watched it On the internet
0: Yes Or on the TV uh, Sportsnet The Blue Jays, they played in the Bronx. They played a four-game series against the Yankees. The Jays won the first three. They lost yesterday, but it was still a really, really good showing from the Jays. And uh, now, after that, they are tied for all. So, there's three three teams qualify for the wild card. Three teams tied for the wild card right now. So, the Tampa Bay Rays, Blue Jays, and the Seattle Mariners. Are all locked in those three wild card spots. They're all two and a half games up on the Minnesota Twins and the Baltimore Orioles. We did over the weekend lose the perfect scenario in my mind of the Mariners being first in that wild card and the Blue Jays being second in that wild card, which would mean Seattle would host Toronto for a three game wild card series, which would be amazing for Pacific Northwest fans.
1: But there's still a lot of. Water. still a lot of time there's still a lot of time for that to happen so keep the dream alive i'm
0: i'm hoping uh but it would be really cool to see even if it is in toronto and people in vancouver can't go to games if you are a blue jays fan or a mariners fan you wouldn't be able to go to games um but i think it would be even cooler to see in seattle just because they haven't made the
1: playoffs for 21 years and that's just it like there's a lot of people that have not seen seattle mariners playoff baseball at all yeah and it would just be something that would really really engage baseball in this market and in this area i believe and it would that natural rivalry is there there's always that contingent of blue jays fans there's probably some mariners fans that are still you know waiting for the collapse but what if what if they actually get there and actually do an unmariner thing and get to the postseason then I, what
0: i don't know they do the mariner thing quite often where they just flame out at the end of the year but i believe this is the year this is the year hopefully um, the other thing that came out of this past weekend was the Jays, there, there's been this conversation about the Jays maybe catching the Yankees. And look, it's a, it's really far-fetched They're Seven, eight games back right now behind New York. But you did see this weekend that the Yankees are really struggling and the Blue Jays, like they might be turning a corner. We have to see it a little more consistently and against teams that are better than what the Yankees are playing like right now. But if the Jays can keep going in the this direction and the Yankees keep going in the downward direction they're going, maybe there's a route to the Jays catching up, especially because they play a three-game series at the end of September in Toronto.
1: And the funny thing is, with the Yankees falling as much as they are right now, the market in New York has definitely caught notice and the market in New York is restless and really, really upset. Yeah. And you're starting to notice that in the media. And how much does that New York pressure, the more it mounts, the longer these Yankee struggles go on, considering how strong they started, does that ultimately really kick in and they just can't find a way to get themselves out of it it tears apart what could be what could have been a promising season for the Yankees.
0: Yeah, yeah. Players getting booed because they grounded out. It's crazy out in New York right now. Kind of love it, though. Uh, so it's an off day today for the Jays, but they start a series against the Red Sox at Fenway Park tomorrow. Okay, so I mentioned it. Uh, the morning show, Halford and Bruff, they were back together, the dynamic duo, and they talked to Julio Caravetta, the uh, the Lions color commentator, about the BC Lions, who are now without Nathan Rourke for at least a few games. Here's what they had to say.
4: Yeah, no no question. Uh, devastating news, right? Um you know Nathan uh, was having such a fantastic year, and the team was off to a great start. And uh, you know there just seemed to be such a great vibe uh, around the team, and uh, you know people were interested in going back to the games. So um, yeah, you mean know, what, what? What else can you say? I mean, it's 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 football. It happens. But uh, really, I just feel sick for Nathan. You know, he's such a he's such a good kid uh, who's worked extremely hard, um, and all the success that he's having um, is so well deserved um and you know we're all going to just wonder what could have been um the year he was having was or the year the numbers he was putting up you know would you know could have been historic um but we'll never know uh so unfortunately for him um he now has to try to rehab that thing you know i the you know what how i you know the way i know nathan i I mean i'm you know that he is going to give everything he possibly can to get back as quickly as he can and whether that can happen or not, I'm not sure. You know, I'm, I'm sure I was like everybody else yesterday, looking up a, a Lis Frank injury on Google, trying to figure out what it was. So, um, you know, some reports are you know he could come back. Others are saying it's going to be a long process. So we'll just have to wait and see.
3: Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask you what you know about the Lis Frank <laughs> injury, and uh, <laughs> you know as much as I do. We were talking. It was named after a, a French surgeon back in the Napoleonic yeah. days. Ah, okay. Uh, it, but I mean, long story short, it seems like this is one of these injuries that you cannot rush the recovery period yeah. or things could get worse and it could become a chronic issue. Nathan Rourke is a young guy. He doesn't want a chronic issue.
4: Yeah. You know, there's no question about that. You know, the, the funny thing is not funny, but I, uh, yesterday, you know, when I was downstairs and I had, uh, you know, the NFL network on and I was watching and, and I saw that uh, I, don't, I forget his, his first name. The kid out of Ole Miss that got drafted by Carolina. Carroll is his last name. Um, he has a Lisfranc injury, and I saw it. On, I saw it run underneath this, the, the ticker, and I was thinking, "A Lisfranc? What is that?" Right? I, I'd never heard of it before. And then later on, you what know, I mean you hear it again. I'm thinking, "Wow, two in one day." Um, but yeah, you mean you just don't know. You, you mean uh, as far as the rehab goes. I mean, I'm, I'm going to ask as many questions as I can, but. It just seems that uh, the degree of when you can expect to come back or if he has surgery and how, or when he has surgery, you know, when is he going to be able to start putting weight on it, all that kind of stuff. You know, I read something yesterday, it's going to be six to eight weeks. So who knows um, where it's all going to end up. But again, just, you know, you just feel sick for the kid because uh, he was just having such a, an amazing year.
3: The task for Michael O'Connor. Um... He's not going to, he's not, I don't think anyone's going to ask him to play like Mm -hmm. Nathan Rourke was playing, like one of the greatest performances in CFL history, go out and do that. What is Michael O'Connor capable of?
4: Well, you know, I mean, this is a fantastic opportunity for Michael, right? And the same for, you know, the other quarterbacks that are there, you know, I mean, Antonio Pipkin's another guy that's been in the league. This is his fourth year. This is Michael's third year. Um, this is a, a tremendous opportunity. This is why you play, right? You, 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 know, you never want to see injury to a teammate, but it's the nature of the beast, right? You now have an opportunity to step up and, and fill, fill that hole. Um, and Michael, you know, I think you, you really you make a great point. Like Mike has got to realize that he's not going to be Nathan Rourke, right? He needs to be the best version of Michael O'Connor. Um, and Michael's shown uh, that he, he, you know, he understands the defense. He worked very hard. Um, he's a different style of quarterback. So now it's going to be up to Jordan McSinnick, the offensive coordinator to you know to try to figure out okay what what works for for Michael O'Connor, what works for Antonio Pipkin and and try to generate a game plan that may be a little bit different than what Nathan uh, Rourke was running. but you know you need you need to find out what he's really good at and I'm sure they already know that and now they just have to try to put him in the best positions. Now, the other thing, guys, is this, is that, and I'm sure this is happening behind, you know, behind the doors of, of their clubhouse is that they've got a veteran group, right? They've got a lot of talent on that team. And you know that they're going to try to rally around their young quarterbacks, Michael O'Connor and, and the rest of them. So everyone needs to step up, step up their play, right? And you've got to realize that, you know, he's going to be different than Nathan and maybe he's not going to be able to win games the way Nathan has been winning games, but they definitely have the talent to win, so it, they just got to find they got to find that groove with Michael O'Connor. Uh,
3: what's O'Connor's mobility like? Because I think it's important to point out here that for all the great, the yeah. pa- all the great passing that Rourke's had this year, um, you know, you, the automatic thing is you look at the injury and you say, okay, well, offense coordinator and head coach, you know, they alter the game plan. Maybe they get a little bit more conservative. Maybe they run the ball. So James Butler's been fine, been solid, very solid as a starting running back, the second leading rusher on the team is Nathan Rourke. So that's a pretty big yeah. part of what they do. How can O'Connor fit yeah. in that regard? I know he's big, is he as mobile? I'm assuming no.
4: Yeah, I I wouldn't say I wouldn't say honestly that he's as mobile. Um, you know, he's a big kid, uh 6'5", he's got a big arm and you know, I mean and, and and he is athletic. He can move around and run, but I don't know whether or not he's the same kind of athlete as as Nathan and you're right. You know, Nathan's ability to run the football is a, was another you know kind of bullet in his holster right he you had you had to try to defend that so i you know i don't think he's going to be the same kind of runner can he get out of the pocket and move around yeah absolutely we've, we've seen examples of that but i think he's more a kind of guy that has a, has a very good arm he's smart he needs to read a defense and he needs to be able to throw the ball and get the ball out of his hands now hey guys i mean i i don't you you guys you know watch football like i watch football he's a young quarterback he hasn't got a lot of game experience so what is the defense going to do? They're going to say, "Hey, listen, we're going to test you and we're going to put you in scenarios where we're going to really try to get at you and test you and see how you respond." Right? Because that's the other big thing that Nathan had had done so, you know, so brilliantly was his ability to, to really anything you throw at him, he just he you know, he might struggle a little bit and we've seen a little bit of that where but he would figure you out and then he would start to hurt you. And that's what you need from a quarterback, right? Okay, you may get me once, you may may get me twice but I'm going to figure out what you're doing in the end. And that's something that he's going to have to prove that he can do. It's, it, it's really, um, you know, for most defenses, that's, that's the MO. Hey, we're going to test this guy. We're going to – because the other, the other part, too, guys, is this. You know, we, we see it across the board. It doesn't matter what level of football. But as a quarterback, when you get into the game, you know, you can go through practice and you can watch film and you can do all the X's and O's stuff. Yeah, I'm supposed to go here. And, yeah, if they show me this look – I'm going to do this, and it's all is fine and dandy when you're watching the film. But in the end, when you get into a game and you have that pressure and that anxiety that goes along with people running all around you and, and, and people flashing in front of your face and that ability to process in a, you know, in a couple of seconds is what separates you know good quarterbacks and great quarterbacks. And that's one of the things that I have been so... like I've been in absolute awe of, of Nathan was that ability... To process information at that speed um, and and remain have that, that sense of calm uh, that he has shown it's for a young quarterback it's almost unheard of. So those are the kinds of things that you develop and you you grow into, mm-hmm. but it takes time and it takes it takes game experience for you to establish that kind of the, the the ability to to deal with that kind of pressure and the speed of the game because that's something that is really going to be different for Michael O'Connor.
3: Julio, getting back to the Nathan Rourke situation, I, I know this is a this is a topic that's still very fresh and we're, we're waiting to see how uh, the rehab goes for Nathan Rourke. But let's be honest, there were plenty of reports as Nathan Rourke was piling up incredible stats over the first half of mm-hmm. the CFL season that NFL teams will take notice and they might have an interest in uh, giving him at least a workout or possibly even just signing <laughs> him I, I got asked the question: Is it possible? Is it possible that Nathan Rourke has played his last game for the Lions?
4: Wow, um, that is that is that is definitely a possibility. Um, I you know I mean I I, I can't deny that you know uh, Nathan what Nathan's been able to do in his body of work, even though it's nine games. You know, as I said, like I've been watching the game a long time, and. You know, you talk about mechanics, and you talk about all this other stuff, and it's all very, very important. But what you, what, what his ability, like, and as I said, to process information, to to remain calm, and and and, and to be able to work through your progressions the way that he does, is something you just don't see very often. It, it's a God given talent that he has, and so, you know, if if I'm seeing it, you're not going to tell me that you know. The NFL isn't seeing it, and, and the scouts. You mean, they're scouring the earth for, for quarterbacks. It's the most important position on, on the field. So if you find somebody, like, you know, you look down in, in Seattle, for example. You know, you look at Geno Smith, and he's been in a league for how many years, and now he's getting an opportunity where he may be able to step up and play. And and, and from what I've seen in preseason, he doesn't look very good, right? So eventually what happens is that, you I mean, you need to be able to step out on the field when it matters the most, when the pressure's the most, the anxiety's the most, and every, a lot of things on the line, and be able to deliver. And that's what Nathan has been able to do. Whether that translates into the NFL, I don't know. I, I, I would think it will. Um, everything that I've seen tells me that he can definitely play down there. But now all of a sudden you have to say to yourself, okay, where's the opportunity? Who believes in him? Because we all know the politics of the NFL. Where are you drafted? Where did you go to school, especially in the highest-profile position? So is someone going to see what they see on film and see what, a, what he does in a workout and say, hey, this guy's good enough to be our backup. This guy's good enough to push our starter. Whether that happens or not, I don't know. I mean, that is still yet to be determined. But everything that I've seen to this point tells me that he is more than capable of doing that.
3: Uh, one final thing, because I like stoking the flames of controversy here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, he, Nathan Moore gets injured against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Is that just a coincidence, or is there something else there, given yeah. their history?
4: No, I mean, I, 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 that's just a football play. I mean, it's just unfortunate that uh, the way that he got tackled, and and uh, but I, I didn't. There, there's nothing there. You I mean I, I know that. The, they are, you know, they've obviously had some issues with uh, player discipline and all that kind of stuff, but it, I didn't see anything on that play. That, that's just a football play. It just happened that, you know, the way his foot was tucked underneath him and the way he was brought down, uh, it just is, it's just unfortunate. It just happens in football. So um, I don't think there's anything there.
0: That was BC Lions color commentator Julio Caravetta on with the morning show, Halford and Brough. Uh Lions, by the way, without Nathan Rourke, will play this Friday against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders at BC Place this time, uh, hoping to improve their record to 9-1, and keep the good times going, hopefully until Rourke comes back, and then, you know what, you get into the great times. Then you get into the playoffs, just win a win a little Grey Cup, and you have a good time. Uh, that's going to do it for Sportsnet today. The People Show is coming up next. I'm Josh Elliott-Wolf. Randy Janda and Israel Fair will be taking over. Uh, BC Lions co-GM, Neil McAvoy, is going to join at 2.30 to talk a bit more about that work injury and the rest of the season for the team. But that's going to do it for Sportsnet today. Thank you for listening. I'm Josh Elliott-Wolf with producer Eddie Gregory on Sportsnet 650.